we need to pray. You look at everything that is just going on in the world. It's just, it's a lot of craziness. It's a lot of craziness going on and we just need to keep our eyes and our focus on Jesus Christ, right? Keep our focus on him. Don't get distracted. Don't get sidetracked. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Just keep our feet planted on Jesus Christ and on his word. So here the other week when I spoke, um, I got a little passionate. I don't know how many of you all were still were here last week. I see quite a few of you that seem to have been here last the other week. But I got a little passionate about how important it is for us to know the Bible and the scriptures for ourselves, for us to treat it as something precious, our, our relationship with the Lord, just as those, I used the illustration of those that will have to walk and go to such distance for water and just how we ourselves need to treat our, our salvation as something very precious and how important it is for us to know the scriptures for ourselves. And I, uh, I heard this and I thought, well, I just want to share this with you. I heard as I was listening to uh, someone, I heard them say that we are to study the original so much so that when you see a counterfeit, you are able to see it. And they use the example of someone who, when they are learning how to identify counterfeit money, they don't study the counterfeit money. Instead, they study the original. And they study the original piece of, of money or, or maybe it's a $50 bill. They will study that original $50 bill so intently and so carefully so that if a counterfeit comes around, they'll know it. You know, now we get those little cheat things where we get to take that pen and do it across the, the dollar bill or the $50 bill and it, it goes a different color and you can see, oh, wait a minute, this isn't right. Have you ever had somebody check your, your 20s or your 50s? Yeah, usually 20s for me. And um, that was one of the things they were talking about, how important it is for us to know the original so that if there's a counterfeit, you'll automatically know the difference. So I thought that was such a neat uh, way of looking at it. So we need to study our Bibles in such a way and in so intently so that if there is a counterfeit, we will be able to know the difference. And you know, I know that um, there are many that um, make mistakes. I mean, believe you me, I've made mistakes when I have preached, when I have taught, I have made honest to goodness mistakes. And I just want to give you a little funny, and then we're going to get into our message for tonight. But my dad was a, a minister, and he was my pastor for many, many years before um, he went on to be with the Lord. And I remember one um, time he was wanting us to stand to sing a song. And I don't know if you all remember this. It's an old song. It used to say, smile a while and give your face a rest. Raise your hand to the one you love the best. Then shake hands with those nearby and give to them a smile, right? And it was just a good way to be able to, you know, interact with other people in the church and so forth. It was kind of like a little icebreaker. 
Well, I remember one time my dad was wanting us to stand to sing that song, and he accidentally said, let's all stand and give our face a rest. Do you get it? Well, what was funny is he didn't get it at first, but the congregation was giggling really bad. And then all of a sudden he realized, oh, I just said everyone was sitting on their faces and that we need to stand up to give our faces a rest. And he started giggling. And then we all had a good old giggle throughout the church until we all got settled. And and then it was like, okay, we need to move on now. So we all make mistakes, absolutely. Um, We are still uh, not perfect, even though we try to bring the word of the Lord and do everything just right in church and in the services. But at the same time, we want to be very aware of anything that is counterfeit. Amen? All righty. That was just a little bit of my tidbit from the other week when I was here. Okay. So it was great to be with you all again tonight. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. I had someone ask, had a couple people ask how things were going for Scott and I with um, our ministry group there at the college. Um, Really, really appreciate your all's prayers. Thank you so much for that. Um, It is interesting. I was telling Tim before the service, it's interesting because anytime we have gone to be youth pastors or young adult pastors or marriage and family pastors, you go into the church and there's already an established youth group. And then you build off of that group. Well, this is building from the ground up. So um, we do appreciate your all's prayers. We're just seeking the Lord for wisdom as we try to get our our name out there and, and known to the students there at the school. So thank you all for praying. All righty. So tonight we are going to ask the question, what is the desire of my heart? What is the desire of my heart? In Psalms 37 verse four, we are told that God will give us the desires of our heart if we delight in him. And we're gonna get into more scriptures, but just briefly looking at Psalms 37 four, tells us that God will give us the desires of our hearts if, if we delight in him. So that brings us to the question of what then is the desires of my heart? And sometimes those desires of our heart can be something just as uh, physical or materialistic as wanting a new pair of shoes or wanting... um, I don't know, something new to put in the house or maybe for you guys, maybe it's, um, I don't know, hunting season's coming up. So I'm sure you all have quite the uh, list of desires if you are someone who hunts. I know that uh, my husband and my son, they've, they've got a list a mile long of what they would like to have um, as far, far as desires of hunting and um but their things cost a whole lot more than my 1999 shoes that I find on clearance. They don't get too many clearances with their, with their items. But we all have desires of our hearts. And so tonight, let's ask ourselves, what is it that is 
the desire of my heart. And even to go a little bit deeper into that, what do I want from God and my relationship with him? Often we think of God giving us the desires of our heart as in Psalms 37, four, and our minds go to material things or natural, um, physical things, things that we desire in the natural. And I know for, for myself and I'm sure for you, we all have the desire of our heart for our sins to be forgiven. We all had the desire to go to heaven We all will want God to take care of us and our family. And those are all good. Those are all absolutely. But let's also ask ourselves tonight, but what do I really want when it comes to my relationship with God? In John 5, verses 1 through 9, we're going to look at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Verse five. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, He said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. So many of us know this story. Many of us have heard this story before. And we read where Jesus, while he was here on earth with his earthly ministry, he was in Jerusalem and he was walking by a pool called the Bethesda Pool. This pool was a public pool where the people could purify themselves or even something as simple as a place to swim at times. This pool was also a place where miracles had taken place in the past for healing. A miracle at these waters was not something that was uncommon. Whenever uh, there was a stirring of the water, if you got into that water, you were then healed. And also we know that Bethesda is referred to as the house of mercy. The house of mercy. So let's break this down and look at a couple of different things about the scripture. In verse three, it says, a great multitude of sick people were waiting by this pool. So in other words, there was a large amount of people that were waiting by this pool, waiting for the stirring of the waters. Then in verse five, it says, now a certain man was there for 38 years. 
Could you imagine waiting by this pool of water for 38 years, hoping that somehow or other you would be able to get into the waters first when they started stirring? And to think that for 38 years, you had failed. That'd be discouraging, wouldn't it? That'd be discouraging. So then if you look in verse six, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there. When Jesus saw him lying there. I always love it when I see in the scriptures where Jesus sees that one person. Because it says that there, there was a multitude of people there. A multitude, a large amount of people. But when Jesus saw him lying there. And we also know that Jesus knew that he had been in this condition. Jesus knew that he had been laying there for a long period of time. Jesus asked this man, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Now, for any of us, we'd probably be, yes. Like if it wasn't Jesus, we might even want to say, well, yeah, that's a dumb question. Yeah, I want to be healed. Why do you think I've been here for 38 years? Why do you think I've been laying here all this time waiting? Duh. Yeah, I want to be healed. This is what the man says. He says, I have no man to put me into the pool. And he also says, another steps down before me. Now, I always thought about that. Is this man making a complaint? Is this man making an excuse? We're not quite sure. But Jesus gives a command, rise, take up your bed, and walk. The man obeys. He immediately was made well, took up his bed, and walked. There's important points here in this story that I don't want us to miss because they're significant. First of all, I want us to remember that this was a place of mercy. This was a pool that was called the Bethesda Pool. And Bethesda means the house of mercy. So this was a place of mercy. This was a place where people were healed. This was a place where people had encounters of miracles that would take place. And these miracles were not uncommon. We also know from this that there were many people in need, but Jesus saw the one man specifically, didn't he? He saw the one man specifically and he knew what his need was. The man had been there for a long time in this need. We saw that Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? In other words, do you want this? Do you want this? The man stated his situation of whether someone else got in the pool before him or he didn't have anyone to help him get into the pool. Again, we don't know if this was complaining or making excuses or just simply stating the facts. We also know from this that Jesus simply had to give a command. All that Jesus had to do was just speak the words. 
and it was done. And that the man immediately responded with obedience. Tonight, we need to examine our hearts and ask, what do I want from God and my relationship with him? Goes back to what are the desires of our hearts, right? And then the other question that we need to ask along with that, what am I willing to do for it? What am I willing to do for it? What am I willing to do for a closer relationship with God? What am I willing to do to get closer to the Father? Here's a couple things that I get from this story. First of all, let's go back to it being called a place of mercy. The first thing for us to get closer to the Father is we need to come to a place of mercy. You know, I think one of the things that we can never ever get away from, and I do find that this is not something that is preached as much, and it's called repentance. Just good old laying yourself down before God and just repenting. It doesn't matter how long you have been serving the Lord. We all are still in need of repentance. If nothing else, we all should be coming to the Lord and say, search my heart, O God. See if there be any wicked way within me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. If nothing else, that should be something that we do on a regular basis is asking the Lord to search our hearts for him to know our hearts, the intents of our hearts, the motivation of our hearts. We first have to come to God asking for mercy and for help. The man knew he had a need and he was willing to go where he could get the help he needed. And the only place that we are gonna be able to get the physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, whatever needs you have is going to be by coming to God first and foremost. It tells us that we are to seek the Lord, that we are to draw near to him, that we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have to first come to him. James 4, 2 tells us that we do not have because we do not ask. If this layman in John 5 had not come to the place of mercy, he would not have received the merciful cure of God. Number two, we need to understand that God sees us. I have spoke on this before, how Jesus would see specific people that he would minister to. John 5, 3 says that there was a multitude, but in verse 5, it says a certain man was there. Jesus saw the certain man in the midst of the multitude, and in the midst of the multitude, we are reminded that God sees us. He sees us. He sees where we're at. He sees what's going on in our lives. He sees us. Luke 15 One through seven, 
it tells, the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus says in verse four, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now, I'm not a farmer or anything like that, but I'm sure that if you were a farmer and you lost one of your lambs, you lost one of your cows, you'd go looking, right? There's investment in that sheep. There's investment in that cow. And you don't wanna lose that because that's part of your investment. There's probably been times that you have been out in the cold feeding that animal, or there may have been times out in the rain, you were out there taking care of it because maybe it gotten hurt in some way. There's an investment in that animal and you're gonna go looking for it. And this is an example of how a good shepherd would go after the lost sheep. Even if it was just the one out of a hundred. He would search until he found it. (coughs) It reminds me here the other week, we have a little dog and I let him out to go to the restroom not knowing that my husband and son were outside shooting their guns. Yes, we have guns, guys. We, they were practicing. They, they, they're, they're hunters, okay? Well, I didn't realize it. So I let the little dog out. They started shooting, scared the little dog so bad he went running off. He went running down the field. So I jumped in the car and I'm driving down in the direction that he had gone, not knowing that he had then made a left turn, went up in our woods, came up behind our house, went all the way behind our other neighbor's house, came down and crossed the road down the road from us and was at somebody else's house. And I'm driving in the opposite direction, just hollering like a crazy person for this little dog. And so finally, after probably about, I don't know, it was about an hour or so of searching and walking all over the place, trying to find this little dog. He's only five pounds and he's black, so he kind of blends in with things. Some person down the road in the total opposite direction pulls up and says, are you all looking for a dog? They must have heard us yelling or something. Like, I don't know. We're like, yes. Well, here it is. Okay. Now that's simple, right? That's this little five-pound muddy-looking dog. He's a Yorkie poo that doesn't look Yorkie or poo. He's just a mutt-looking thing, all right? But we went looking for him. I've had 13 years of investing in this silly dog. I'm not just going to just forget about him now, right? A shepherd is not going to just forget about that one sheep, even if it's the stupid one that gets out all the time and gets lost in the woods or gets stuck in some fence all the time. He's still going to go looking for it, right? How many times have we been that stupid sheep? Or that silly mutt-looking dog that's ran away down the road and, and our good Heavenly Father has to come looking for us. Aren't you thankful for that? That's a simple illustration, I realize, and maybe even a silly one. But Jesus sees us. He sees us. 
in Luke 15, 8 through 10, and we also have the parable this time about a lost coin. In verse eight, it says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. (coughs) This coin is described as a valuable coin, valuable. I was listening to a man who was teaching on um, like, Jewish culture and so forth. And, and he actually was, was taking groups to tour Israel and, and they were going into what was left of old houses and so forth. And, and they don't have these smooth floors like we do. Like we got this nice carpeted area. And it may not be the easiest thing to find a coin if it fell on this carpet, but it wouldn't be like horrifically hard, right? Like we may have to crawl around for a few minutes, but we would pretty much be able to find it. Think about their floors. They were dirt. They were rock. They were probably even mixed in at some at sometimes with with maybe straw or hay or or whatever. Could you imagine trying to find a lost coin in something like that? That's why this woman searched diligently for this valuable coin. God sees each one of us as valuable. And just like the shepherd or the woman, he sees and seeks out the lost one. Jesus saw the certain man by the pool and he sees you and he considers you to be valuable. Number three, the lame man had been in need for a long time. Jesus had already known that he had been there in that condition for a long time. John 5, 5 tells us that the lame man had been there for 38 years. He had had this infirmity. Some of us are dealing with things that we have been dealing with for a long time. Some people maybe deal with maybe something physical or maybe even something mental or emotional. Maybe they deal with a stress or something that goes on in their life and they've been dealing with it for a long time. In some ways, sometimes we can be comfortable and just get used to whatever it is that we're dealing with. Just accept it. It's just part of life. It's just part of who I am. It's just part of the thing. You know, it's even really sad because I think some people wouldn't know what to do if they didn't have this thing to deal with. They wouldn't have very much to put on Facebook or very much to put on Instagram or very much to complain about to everyone about. Have you ever met those? Okay, you don't have to answer that question. Yeah, there's just, there's the old saying that misery loves company. And there's just some people who just love being miserable. And if they weren't miserable, they literally would not know what in the world to do with themselves. And they wouldn't know what in the world to, you know, talk to other people about because it always comes back around to how miserable they are. Now that is not belittling the fact that there may truly be something hard in their life. That is not belittling that at all. There are people who have dealt with very difficult things for a very, very long time. But sometimes if we're not careful, it just becomes easy to just stay in that place, in that miserable place. 
Sometimes we stay in a rut spiritually and it becomes comfortable being in that rut spiritually. Some of us have never stopped to really examine where we are spiritually. Sometimes we just think, well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing all that I'm supposed to be. I don't know about you. I don't want to just be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. The desire of my heart is to go deeper. Is to go deeper. Let me remind you that there is a time when everyone, excuse me, let me start that again. Let me remind you that there was a time when everyone didn't get a participation trophy. You know how nowadays you gotta give a participation trophy to every single kid in the class because heaven forbid one of them not have a participation trophy even though they came in last. Can't let them know that they came in last. You know, so you can't ever let them know that, hey, maybe you need to try to do better next time, right? There was this time where you only got the prize trophy if you actually came in first or second or third, if you put forth forth the work that came along with that. But nowadays there is this thinking, and I don't think it's nothing, anything new. It's just that it's taken on this... um, kind of like it's, it's come back around and it's called universalism theology. I don't know how many of you ever heard of that universalism theology. It's kind of a tongue twister, but it's the idea that everyone goes to heaven. Just everyone. You're good. You're good enough. You're not as bad as the next person. That's not what the scripture says. God doesn't give out participation trophies, but instead he gives out the prize to those according to 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, have fought the good fight, finished the race, and have kept the faith. May the desire of our heart be that we fight the good fight, that we finish the race, and we keep the faith. May that be a desire of our heart. You know, years ago, there was an old Christian song about, I'm all right as long as I have a cabin on the outskirts of heaven. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that song or remember that song. And it was basically just saying, as long as I just get in, I am fine. Even if I'm on the outskirts and just kind of looking in, as long as I'm there, that's all that matters. Nope, not me. I want to be in the midst of it all, right? I literally want to hear God say, well done. That's what I want to hear. So with that, we have to have the mentality of I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to finish the race and I'm going to keep the faith. Four, we need to ask ourselves, what do I want from God? Jesus asked the man, do you want to be made well? Do I want to be made well in my body, in my mind, in my emotions, in my heart? 
Do I, Krista, want to be made well in these areas where I'm still lacking, where maybe I haven't totally surrendered to the Lord? I've just gotten comfortable with where I'm at. Again, this is not in any way whatsoever belittling situations and issues and circumstances that you may be dealing with. You know, life seems unfair a lot of times. You look at some people's lives and it's just like, it just seems like they have a hard time from the get-go. Maybe they weren't blessed to grow up in a wonderful Christian home. Maybe they weren't blessed to have a mom and a dad, or, or maybe they weren't blessed with some different things. Maybe there was a situation that was totally out of their control or something that they had nothing to do with, and they just literally happened to be the innocent victim of the whole thing. But even with that, regardless, never forget that with God, nothing is impossible. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter the situation. With God, all things are possible. You know, you think about it too. We all have a choice, do we not? On how we're going to react and how we're going to respond. We all have a choice. I think of a couple of things. I think of the fact that um, my dad... He lost his father when he was five years old and he had three younger siblings. Now, he did not have an earthly example of a father. Now, what could he have done? Well, I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know what to do. I can't help it. I've never had an example. No one's ever showed me. No one's ever shown me how to be a father. I've never been able to see that, walked out. I don't know what that looks like. He could have done that, right? But instead, he came to the Lord and said, you're going to have to help me know how to be a good daddy. And he was literally one of the best. Literally. I was very, very blessed with a good dad and an awesome mom. I look at my husband. He came from a divorced situation. Literally, um, when he was 15 years old, him and his sister were completely on their own. Their father had left and was in Georgia um, with another woman. My husband's mom was in a mental institution. And here was my husband at 15 and his sister with absolutely no one as far as their mom and dad checking in on them. Hey, is the house being paid for? Is the electric bill being paid? Is the water still running because the bill's not been paid? Thank God he had grown up across the street from a church and some people in the church made sure that they had their bills paid. Thank God they had an aunt and an uncle that would check in on him. 
He could have taken those experiences and he could have said, marriage, why do I have to fight for marriage? I didn't see marriage being fought for. I didn't see marriage as being something to hold on to. I watched my mom and dad be a horrible example of that. Guys, I'm not saying anything that they don't know. We, this is a very open book. I'm, if they watched, if his family watched this on uh, TV or whatever, they're not gonna be, oh, Krista said that. No, that's not what this is. But my husband will say that it's part of his testimony because what he did is he had to come before God and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking God that that will not be me that I will not be that type of a husband. I will not be that type of a person, but instead I will fight for my marriage. I will fight for my children. I will fight for my family. And there have literally been times when my husband has said, "Uh uh-uh, Krista, we're fighting for this. It's hard right now and we may be going through something, but we're sticking together. You're stuck with me. And there were times I looked at him and I was like, I don't wanna be stuck with you. Just being honest. He could have been the one that said, well, all right then. I didn't have the example. I didn't have somebody show me. See, we all have a choice, right? We all have a choice. Sorry, I keep banging this stand up here. How is our heart in the middle of all of the situations that we go through? How are we choosing to respond? How are we choosing to react? Fifth, if Jesus was to ask us, do you want to be made well, what would the response be? It's always was interesting to me because the lame man, when he was asked that question in John 5, he says, I don't have anyone to help me or anyone to be there to help get me into the water. Or the other thing that he would say is, someone else always gets there first. Now, I hope that if I had been laying with this infirmity for 38 years and I had been by this pool where I knew that if I got into it, when the water was stirred, I would be healed, I would hope that I would be lying or laying, whichever the proper grammar is, I'd be laying right beside of that water that the second I saw that water stirring, all I'd have to do is roll into it. I wouldn't have to wait for someone else to help me. And I wouldn't have to wait or be concerned that someone else would get in there before me. Like I would think that I would hope that I would stay right at the edge ready at any second, at any moment to be like, whoop, I hear it, plop. Right? When you're in desperate need enough for something, you'll go to the measure that you need to go to to get it. Right? Why didn't he stay closer to the pool? Yeah. Did he just get comfortable with the way that he was? Had he lost faith? Had he just gotten discouraged? Had he lost his determination? What was it? 
that he was going to have to rely on somebody else to get him to the water. If I'd lay there for 38 years, I would surely hope to goodness that I had not allowed myself to lay there for that long because before that, I would have gotten myself, if it was crawling, belly crawl, whatever, to that water. I just think about that. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm being too hard on the man. I don't know. But does it not make you wonder? If I needed something that desperately in my life, would I not get myself up and at him and do something? If we saw how desperately we need God, would we not get up and do something? If we knew how much he could heal us and touch us and deliver us and set us free, would we not be doing, okay, here I am, God, I am all yours. I am surrendered. What do I need to do? What else do I need to repent? What else do I need to ask for forgiveness? Who do I need to go and talk to to ask them to forgive me or whatever? What do I need to do, God? Just gets my mind thinking, that's all. The hard fact is that God asks us, do you want to be made well? Regardless of other people or how hard or even how good this life is right now, what is the desire of my heart? Are we expecting someone to do the work for us? Are we expecting someone to get us into the pool? Don't wait on somebody else. You know the old saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get down on your knees before the Lord. Spend time in prayer. Open your Bible. Seek the Lord. Draw close to him. Tells us in James, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Have you ever thought about that? It doesn't say he will draw near to you. First, you draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Draw near to him. Draw near to him. Now we know that never, ever, ever are we saved by our works, correct? Don't get this confused. We are not saved by our works. That is not what this is. In other words, we are not justified with God through Jesus Christ because of anything we have done. Not at all. But once you have received salvation, there's some effort that has to be put into it for our growing in the Lord. God gave the man a command and the lame man had to decide what he was going to do with it. The lame man had to make a decision of whether he was going to obey this man, Jesus, take action and do what he was told to do. 
I actually used this scripture here the other week, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. In all of these parables that I mentioned here tonight, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the hidden treasure, all of them are talking about being willing to go the extra mile. In all of these, they were willing to go the extra mile. Maybe they had to look a little harder for the lost sheep. Maybe they had to sweep a little longer to find the lost coin. Perhaps, you know, like in this particular parable, they had to sell all that they had. It cost them something, but nothing in comparison to what they were to gain. We know that what we are to gain in our relationship with Jesus Christ. What we are to gain for eternity will never ever be able to be compared to what we have here on earth. It's so far beyond. A deeper relationship with Jesus Christ is so far beyond anything that this world could give us. It is the spirit, is it the spiritual desire of our heart Is the spiritual desire of our heart greater than anything we could gain on this earth? Yes. But do we have a spiritual desire for the things of God more than anything that we could gain on this earth? Seven. The lame man obeys and immediately he was made well. The lame man was healed as soon as he did what he needed to do. It took some obedience, right? It took some obedience. Just as Jesus asked the layman if he wanted to be made well in his physical body, I believe that God is asking us and reminding us today, do we want to be well? Do we want to be able to sing and to say like the old song, it is well with my soul? It is well with my soul. Have we come to a place where we are tired of just sitting by the pool, watching others get healed, set free, and changed? I don't want to just come to church and lead the same way. I want every time that I come to church, I want every time that I read my Bible, I want every time that I'm listening to someone preach or, or I'm, I'm diving deeper into the word of God, I want every time, even if it's just a nugget, I want something, right? Should be the desire of our hearts. Have we come to the place where we have been the same spiritually long enough? You know, I've been a Christian since I was five years old. Five years old. 
I have been so blessed. For the longest time, I thought I have no testimony. (laughs) What did God save me from? I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I didn't do this. I wasn't that girl. I wasn't that person. I didn't get into drugs and alcohol and blah, 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 blah. You know, that whole list that we put out there. And I remember when God had to remind me, Krista, you do have a testimony. It's called the keeping of God. It's called the fact that through all of these years, you were so fortunate to be saved at a young age and you were kept. You were kept from those things. You didn't go through those things. You were spared those things. That's a testimony too. But even though I've been saved for so long, I don't want to get comfortable with where I'm at. I turned 53 this past July. I don't want to be comfortable with that. I just believe there's so much depth to the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the faithfulness and the love of God. I just think that even now, after all these years, I'm still just scraping the surface. There's still so much more. He wants to draw me even closer. He wants me to draw even closer to him. He wants me to keep falling in love with him over and over again. He wants that love to just grow. He wants that love to to show out to others. We're never done, people. We're never done. We're on a journey. We are on a journey of growing, learning. Think about this man who was lame for 38 years and some of us have been spiritually lame for a long time. Walking with a spiritual limp. I'm I'm doing really good, but you know, I'm kind of still holding on to that one thing. I'm doing really good, but I still have a hard time forgiving that person. I'm doing really good, but you know, I still like to gossip, gossip a little bit. I'm doing really good, but you know, I still get a really bad attitude every once in a while. We don't want to walk with a spiritual limp. In this story, the healing pool was called the house or the place of mercy. And the first place for all of us to start is coming to God for mercy, right? If you keep being told over and over and over and over and over again, God wants to do this. God wants to do this for you. Oh, God wants to do this for you. But they don't bring in the idea that first there's repentance. Be leery. It all has to start with a heart of repentance, a place of mercy, and a surrender to the Lord, right? Would you all stand with me this evening? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. May we never stop hungering and thirsting after the things of God, right? 
May we never stop hungering and thirsting for the things of God. And he will fill us, will he not? He will. He'll meet us. He'll speak to our hearts. Because he's a good father like that, right? Yes, he is. He's a good father.